The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the seventh chapter. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone... Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in kings' courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Am I not plagued by my waiting for great things to happen? The German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer posed that question from a Nazi prison camp. And doubtless, He was waiting for great things. The end of a war, of a totalitarian regime, and for his wedding. That question could also have been posed by John the Baptist, a first century political prisoner of Herod Antipas, jailed for questioning his king's adulterous lifestyle. John, too, was waiting for great things to happen. The coming of a Messiah, the restoration of a kingdom, and the day of his gods, the day of the Lord's favor. Bonhoeffer's question was a facet of a bigger question. Who am I? That was the name of a poem that he penned in the last year of his short life, as he, like John the Baptist, was confronted with an existential question. Is there meaning to what I am suffering? 
Has my hope been misplaced? Am I not, in fact, alone, and has this not all, in fact, been for nothing? Bonhoeffer and the Baptist had this in common. They were both captive to a coming king. A king who draws near, but does not arrive in the desired fashion. A king who sets his subjects free from their great things. A king who liberates into the leastness of a different kind of kingdom. Are you the coming one? Or should we be looking for somebody else? John had a problem. He had two kings. Herod and Herod's prison were definitely present. But the other king was still coming. He had not yet arrived. At least, not for John. John had grown up with serious messianic expectations. Wondrously born himself, divine promises given to his aged parents, his family's expectations were closely held, personal. And when John was older, he experienced a call from God, a call to make ready himself the way of the Messiah. And the messianic expectations were royal expectations. The coming one was to be a kind of king. And the prophet Isaiah had given signs of what that coming, indications of what that coming would look like. The blind would see, the deaf would hear, the lame would walk, and the Lord's Messiah would, I quote, bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. From the prison house, those who sit in darkness, Isaiah 42, verse 7. John's disciples had said to John that Messiah had come. But he had not yet come as John needed, as the king who could break Herod's prison. John's king remained a coming king. He had not yet arrived. He is both John's great hope and his offense. Who are you? John still asks of Jesus. And who am I? Was then the question he had to be asking of himself. All of us who follow Jesus as the Messiah, all of us who would hail him as king, share in the predicament of Bonhoeffer and the Baptist. Of course, the predicament gets more pointed when it involves the Gestapo or the Gulag, when it plays out in the isolation of an apartment or in the captivity of an internment camp. But it's also much more mundane It's quite perennial, actually. Shortly put, 
Jesus disappoints expectations of all of us. We present-day followers of Jesus Christ, like John, have the testimony of witnesses. Jesus came. He preached the good news and peace and love. He healed. He ousted evil spirits. He faced down tyranny. He even raised the dead. We must acknowledge that that's basically the stuff of our greatest hopes. And at the same time, Jesus is our scandal, our offense, because he hasn't quite arrived in the way that we want. He hasn't healed my friend or your mom. He hasn't yet ousted the evil spirits that drive so many. He hasn't broken the tyranny that threatens us. And we are all, at best, on something like a slow walk to the grave. Everyone who would follow Christ has some hope, some wish, that is going unanswered. And that leaves us asking, who is he? And who am I? Captive to our own expectations, we are kept from being able to fully connect with Christ as our King. John is confronted with a crisis-like question about himself in his question about Jesus. And yet, we find Jesus speaking simultaneously of John as the greatest man history had ever known. Among those who have been born of women, there is none greater than John. Where John saw things collapsing, Jesus knew them to be flowering. What counted as things unraveling for John amounted to things coming together for Jesus. John was waiting for some great things from his messianic king. And Jesus was going to do something much, much smaller. He was going to submit to Herod, to Pilate too. Not to their lies or their ambition, but to humility and humiliation, even to death. Jesus had not set his sights on greatness, but on a leastness, a leastness that would define his strange and beautiful upside-down kingdom that would, in fact, redefine the possibility of human hope and that will yet subvert all the kingdoms of the world. It was the report of Jesus raising a young man from the village of Nain that led John to send his disciples to Jesus and ask, his questions of him. Now that young man from Nain was the first of three people that Jesus would raise from the dead. So with that action, 
he had shown an ultimate kind of cosmic authority. And the message that the resurrecting Jesus sent back to John is then finally the message that every messenger of Jesus gets to speak on his behalf. Yes, friends, he is in fact the one. And he's going to disappoint your hopes because they're too small for him. Because you and I can't define the parameters of his kingdom. And this is good. There's blessing in that for us. It is, in fact, lesser things that lie in your future. Things that will bring him near to you and you to him. For your king is, in fact, the very least in his own kingdom. But in what you're told, you actually get more than John did. You're actually greater than he was. For you get the message, not just that your king raised some guy from some village on some day, but that he himself died and that he himself rose. One little Galilean prison once upon a time was too small an objective for your king. He has busted the maximum security prison house of death itself. And that means that you can lose absolutely everything on this Jesus. And all will, in fact, be well. The Baptist, he's going to get his head back. Bonhoeffer is going to be vindicated before a tribunal higher than Nuremberg. And you are subjects of a king who is, yes, coming. He is coming. And he is the least and he is the greatest in his kingdom. And you are blessed as his subjects. In this season of Advent, take no offense at him. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Amen. amen.